Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host. I am Steph Sia. That's my name. I am a stripper. I'm also a former sugar baby, and I'm also a digital content creator. So I have a fan site where I have pictures and videos and lots of fun things and contests and stuff like that that I have with my fans. But I have been doing this podcast a little over two years now and I am pretty much smashing all of the myths about sex work. We're talking about decriminalization and we're most importantly talking about destigmatization. And I bring on different guests every single week to kind of talk about different facets of the sex work industry and things that affect us. And One of the topics today, I mean, the entire topic today is going to be on revenge porn. And this is something that affects so many people, women, men, so many different genders. And it's a total violation of people's privacy. And it can also happen to sex workers as well, even though we are consenting to putting our media out there. There's times where our content is taken or there's maybe a past lover that has maybe taken that content and posted online without our consent and that is not okay. So we're going to be talking about that today, which I'm really, really excited to bring on our guest this week. She goes by the name of Erica and she's representing uh, Take Back the Tech, which is an an organization I stumbled upon while I was doing my research on revenge porn and what victims can do to stop it, how to take down their their content that's been perhaps stolen, etc. But Erica, are are you there? <laughs> I am right here and I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh Erica, it's so nice to have you on. I know we've had like some fun nature kind of problems. Erica's calling in from Mex- Mexico and there's been some intense I think rainstorms you mentioned where like the power the electricity has just gone out over the past couple of days I hope everything's okay there now (laughs) it's okay for us in central Mexico but Mexico just like other parts of the the whole Central American Mesoamerican region have been really hard hit by the hurricanes and Mm -hmm. mudslides and flooding it's happening on the coastal areas really tough and I don't even want to think about the Caribbeans having to been go yeah. through. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that you're able to take the time to chat with me today and just give me a lesson on revenge porn, why it's not called that anymore, and what people can do to help stop this. So why don't we start with you, Erica, if you want to take the lead here and and tell us about Take Back the Tech and what that organization, what that campaign is about. Well, you know, Take Back the Tech started in 2006, and it's important to know that it started with um, uh, compañeras. I'm sorry, I'm going to be mixing in Spanish and English here. That's totally okay. (laughs) Do not think in one language, but um, with sisters from from the Philippines, from Malaysia, uh, feminist activists who are working in digital mm-hmm. areas and expression and seeing how this could uh, be a space of the internet as a, it is a political space, seeing it as a political space and seeing it as one that was going to get mightily contested mm-hmm. uh, as more and more women 
non-binary, LGBTQI were taking up that space and finally having a place to have some free expression, which in many countries is not the reality, depending on where you're from. Right. But I don't know where all of your audience is from. <laughs> but being even able to be gay in some countries is illegal. Yes. Right? So, yes. so, uh, we, so the internet was really a powerful force in allowing freedom of expression in allowing and building new platforms for expression mm -hmm. but we also saw that if we didn't stake this out as a political space it would be a space where uh, people who have experienced violence would get attacked again because yes. there's really nothing different about gender-based violence online and offline mm -hmm. except for medium so to speak because it is a political space it's one that threatens people and they always rely on the power tactics of privilege and misogyny and patriarchy to oh, shut yes. it so we were already per profiling this looking at this trying to understand what a rollout of social media and more and more people online would mean because you also have to think back you know this is over what 15 years ago and it's talking about um the the reality of social media then wasn't so huge. People didn't have broadband. You know, not everyone had a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Most people did not even have a cell phone. So right. just to think about that different reality. So the idea of the campaign was, you know, technology belongs to us too. And we can use it in our expression and, and remembering also that when we talk about freedom of expression, it's not limited to political expression. It's about all sorts of expression, including sexual expression. Yes. And that, of course, is one of the most centered forms of expression mm -hmm. uh, worldwide, without a doubt, especially if it is a woman sexually expressing herself. Oh, yes. Um, or an LGBTQI person, etc. So the campaign really started with that in mind, saying, you know, mm -hmm. we can control our tech, we can use it for however we damn well please, and we know we will be attacked because we live in this patriarchal system. So right. how can we do this smartly? So, and that's <laughs> the origins of the campaign. But mm -hmm. you have to remember that we were saying, you know, violence online is already happening. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get worse if we don't get noisy about this and right. get our shit together. Right. And a lot of other feminist activists were, were like, you're nuts. You know, this is not real violence. This is an important, this is the real violence. And it's true oh, that wow. we're dealing with feminicides, of course. Mm -hmm. It was a logical response. But because we were digital rights activists and working with information communication technologies all the time, we were... We were very aware of how it was having the same impact on people. It was causing a devastating impact, in fact, for many people. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, to change lives, move away, uh, losing jobs, etc. And we see this a lot with um, non-consensual intimate image distribution. Right. So that's what McCain got started about. But it also got started to was addressing this idea of saying, hey, gender-based violence online is a thing. It's yeah. real. It exists, and it's happening in these ways. It can seem different and new, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the, the way that it's rolling out seems and is different and new because we've not had the internet before, mm -hmm. or we haven't had the ability of such, we hadn't had the ability to go viral before, we hadn't had the ability of mass distribution or incredible searching techniques before. Right. We didn't have the ability to cut and paste and repost before so these make it seem different and certainly it's spread and um uh permanence and uh, and searchability mm -hmm. can make it feel 
in fact, more intense. Many people who have, have talked about experiencing an initial violation of, for example, um, being, uh, that, uh, being, I'm sorry, I think it's up front that we're going to be talking tough subjects here. So yeah. I, I, well, if I need to give trigger warnings, but... Oh, you know, yeah, don't worry. There's, there's going to be a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> a woman who has been raped and had that rape film talks about being re-victimized all the time and sometimes even talks about how that's been, for her particular experience, worse. Right. Um, and knowing that all these people are viewing it and can pull up her name and find it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. So this is what we were trying to address and explain and unpack and understand. But mm-hmm. also you have to think about who was talking about this and in what framework a lot of rich white girls yes. um, in the United yeah. States and Europe. So we were saying, no, 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 wait a minute. What's our reality of all of our partners? Because take back the tech part of an organization online called the Association for Progressive Communications that has over 50 member organizations, most of which are based in the global south. So the question was, what's the reality in Uganda? What's the Mm -hmm. reality in South Africa? How is this playing out in the Philippines? How is this Colombia or in Argentina or in Brazil or Mm -hmm. in El Salvador, etc.? Is this this, uh, something that other people are talking about or is this just really people who have access to you know white wealthy feminist women perhaps wow (laughs) in the states this is a lot of throwback on us from women human rights defenders and from feminists in that time period so we start to document and that's what Mm -hmm. take back the tech also one it was to say hey this is a thing yeah we're going to prove it to you we started to document but the other was let's know our shit let's get involved with technology Let's enjoy technology, let's play, let's express, let's get to know more. Because frankly, there has been this gender gap in adoption of technology. It's really different for different ages, of course, but mm-hmm. also access has been really different. Again, totally. you've got to be thinking of countries that we were talking about and where we all were living as we developed this campaign. And mm-hmm. the response was amazing early on, and it was a way to explore and play with technology and talk about body and pleasure and really see the internet not just as a space for work or not just as a useful tool, but as a really political and expressive space, and especially a space where we could have fun and experience pleasure. Wow. And I it's important that we were emphasizing this and continue to emphasize this because a lot of people who work in gender-based violence um, are very concerned, as we all should be, about mm-hmm. victims who experience it. Right. Um, but these, um, the response of many states and of many feminist activists is very protectionist. Yes, and always. And if people always. don't fit a particular definition of what a victim should be like, um, uh, and, and needing support, so to speak, then, then there can be really different reactions. Absolutely. And when you begin to see people who've been victimized because of their sexual expression, there is a hell of a lot of judgment, dismissal, oh, yes. and it fault, a fault being laid down, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's wow. really interesting to see um, when you do have the experience of understanding the internet and how important it is to have even access and awareness mm-hmm. of different sexualities, different types of expression, possibility, then you know you don't want to censor it or shut it down. No. You know how important it is to have freedom of expression in broad terms. Totally. And so this is why a lot of times, in fact, Take Back with Tech has taken really controversial 
um, positions or ask people to at least think about these controversial positions Mm -hmm. and question, you know, yes, it is not nice to be hated on am I? but maybe the solution is not censorship. Right, Um, right. Because what we know in our realities is that the first people that will be subject to any law that is passed in the many different countries that we work in uh, is you will be the one censored. Not the one you hope will be censored. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, So it's really important to remember that you can you be careful what you ask for in, right. in some cases, especially with legislation, especially in countries where you maybe aren't invited to help craft that legislation at all. Right, right. yeah, <laughs> that's can't so true. dig in there with your fingernails. It's not possible. So no. that's a lot of the framework, and it's actually a lot of these discussions have taken us through all these years. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of digital safety training. Now Amazing. we're in a different place, right? Everybody is talking about all this incredible and horrific violence online yes. and the haters. It's Etc. Etc. It's a whole different place, but that's the place we started from. No one believed us right. that any kind of violence that could happen online could be real or impactful or harmful. Totally. And now the concern is: okay, well, how do we want to do this? What's the responsibility of the platforms, which we believe very firmly that they have a lot of responsibility? Oh yeah. We also do not want them invading every inch of our lives and making decisions about what might be harmful for me. Right. Because if I want to call you a bitch and you want to feel comfortable calling me a bitch, then why can't we call each other bitches? <laughs> it's it's in a comfortable language between us, and it's really interesting to see how people of color get censored for their language, but mm-hmm. white supremacists do not. Do not. Yeah. And again, and right. when you see always when when women's naked bodies are being judged and whether that's safe to have them online, mm-hmm. the gaze is a male heteronormative gaze that is saying she is my object. Yes. And if that right. body is not there to give you your satisfaction, mm-hmm. but to give yourself as a woman or a person who is sharing and using her body as a political expression, as a sexual expression for her own pleasure, for her income, yep. then that's not okay. Right. So this is a type of, um, that's not seen as okay by platforms, that gets censored right away. Of course. Or if we're talking about our body for health reasons. So mm-hmm. these are all sorts of issues that Take Back the Tech is explored, but also that um, our team in the Association for Progressive Communication has explored as we look into things like the feminist internet mm-hmm. and as we begin to categorize and understand, well, how does gender-based violence play out online? What are yeah. some of these different ways that violence happens? And are they all criminal right. offenses? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Are they all always gender-based? Maybe, maybe not. A lot of them are tactics that are directed very specifically at certain populations to make them more vulnerable and to keep them from expressing themselves or holding any kind of power. And that's how Take the Tech got started and a lot of the work that we do with the Association for Progressive Communications. Amazing. Oh my gosh. So much to unpack here. There's so many things that I like wanted to, I want to comment on. So it's really interesting like that you, as well as an organization, also receive a lot of pushback from from feminists because <laughs> we from some, feminists. from some yeah 
Well, we, we call them we call them swerfs in in, in uh, the sex worker different types. aspect. Yeah. So like for us, like with sex workers, there's swerfs, which is sex worker um, exclusionary radical feminists that just don't believe that sex work is a thing. And they're always against us, not really legitimizing or acknowledging that this work is legit. And we get a lot of pushback from them. It's a lot of like protect the children kind of attitude. <laughs> but it sounds like this might be like a, a similar kind of thing as well. Not believing that gender-based internet violence is a thing. Like no, and, and that pushback, even for children and protect the children, again, is that protectionist framework of we must save them. Mm-hmm. It's as if... Save your complex. Yeah, it wasn't our uncles, daddies, cousins who were doing the creeping online and affecting right. us. It's as if most women weren't raped by someone they know. It's as if most people's clients don't come from a community of people i mean it's just this denial process of how um how patriarchy plays out yeah how gender-based violence plays out so while it is very concerning to uh, the situation for child sexual exploitation Mm -hmm. is absolutely alarming and you will see countries like the philippines that have a very serious problem they have a very um, intense cyber criminal laws. They do. They even ban sexual expression online. And yes. if you think about the Philippines as a migrant community where, you know, how many millions are in other places and they cannot connect with their spouses, their partners yes. sexually online, technically it's illegal because of this attempt to crack down on child sexual exploitation. Yes. So it's, it's hard. It's it's murky. It's, it's really tough things to talk about, but you Absolutely. can't just, you know, label it all together. It's no. very different. There are different levels of agency and power and decision making, and um, and you, one has to, and also different ways that people can choose to make their incomes. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely, you know, those are valid. In fact, we have the feminist principles of the internet that we developed in the women's rights program of the Association for Progressive Communications, and I can give you a link to that at the yes, end. Yes, please. It'll be in the um, show notes. In the feminist <laughs> principles of the internet. You know, we talk about. Uh, respecting pornography as an industry, consensual porn. Yes. Because it's something that there is, it's a, it's a labor issue. It's, you know, it's, totally it's, labor it's issue. an economic issue, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's a different ball game than a lot of what's going on in, in, in do-it-yourself platforms where it's very easy to give distribution of non-consensual intimate imagery. Right. And it's not the same thing. And no. that's one of the reasons why we struggle with that term, revenge porn. Yes. I know that I've talked to you about it. Yes. I, know I, I maybe sound too preachy there. No, no, Sorry. not at all. I, I want to I definitely get into that. And just a sidebar here, if anyone does want to learn about the different cybersex laws that are in the Philippines, I did do an episode on that in season two with Salome Salvi. Great episode to listen to. Highly recommend. It's a huge, huge, huge problem. Definitely take a listen to it. Okay, so but back to... Um, why do we not call it revenge I porn anymore? Oh, yeah, it's it's a great one, and it was a long one too. I think it was like an hour and a half, but it was a very in depth episode of what's happening in the Philippines. I, sp- I spoke with a a sex worker and also a friend of mine um, that's based in the Philippines, and and the kind of loopholes that she has to go through in order to thrive as sex work and also just like live and survive as a, as a sex worker there. But um, 
just a little side tangent, but <laughs> but yeah, you you brought a good point here. Um, why do we not call it revenge porn anymore, and why what is the best way to refer to it now? Well, the thing about revenge porn is there there's so there's so much bias hurled into that term. Mm-hmm. Yes. First off, what we are talking about is we're talking about imagery and videos that um, are being shared without consent of the person who's in that image or video. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, let's be super clear. They could have created it, and they could have willingly shared it with Mm -hmm. a specific person. Yes. Uh, But they could have revoked their consent. They could have broken off with that person. They could have said, this was for this purpose, and then it's a different setting. Or someone else could have gotten a hold of it by multiple means and sent it on further. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of times people say, no, it's against, um, that's against sexual imagery, sexting, any of these things. Mm -hmm. No, we think sexting is always consensual. If it's not, then Mm -hmm. it's not sexting. Ah. (laughs) A really good point. I mean, if you're being forced to share intimate images, or if you're being pressured into it in any way, if you're Mm -hmm. not comfortable with it, then that's not sexting. No. That is definitely violence. And I think yes. that you can't lump these terms together. Definitely cannot. Um, and, but, so let's start with, first, it's non-consensual distribution of right. intimate images or sexual images mm-hmm. and or video. It can right. also be audio, for example, or even explicit messages. True. But the thing about images and video is that you have many more identifying factors. Definitely. When those are shared. Mm-hmm. And, the other thing about it is that, um, so, so the first part is that this is not pornography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, okay. I want, so yeah. we don't like the term revenge porn because it's that not is not pornography. Now, right. many, many people don't use revenge porn, but they use non-consensual pornography because mm-hmm. they have an understanding of pornography as sexually explicit, um, sexual acts, imagery, etc. Right. But we we really look at it as work. Yeah. And so we're seeing it in an economic realm. And so we don't like, we in APC do not, we in Take Back the Tech do not use the term porn, porn. to refer to this. Right. Other people don't as well. Other people um, will use things like um, image abuse, mm-hmm. uh, yes. sexual, exploit- uh, sexual exploitation of images, that right. sort of thing as well. Okay. So, but we started early on with these initials of NCII because they had non-consensual, they had intimate, and and for us, this is also key because different settings, um, contexts, like, you know, an intimate image for you in Pakistan is going to be really different for an intimate image for you in Mexico. Totally. Yeah, good point. So that's why we use intimate and then image, but that could also be a video. Right, okay. let's take another look at this word, revenge. Okay. If you use the word revenge then there's obviously justice there. Like, you have a reason. You I are, see. You know, it might be petty. It might not be cool. But you, you are absolutely justified on some sort of animal level to do this because you have this right to get revenge. Right. And you're petty and spiteful. So the implicit assumption there is that the person is to blame. Right. And so this term of revenge porn has blame the victim 
all up in it, and it also oh, yeah. has assumptions and negative assumptions about pornography. Mm-hmm. And it's also getting regulated, so as you try to talk about non-consensual intimate imagery, you also start to bump into pornography regulations, and it's right. different, it's apples and oranges. Yeah, right, um, so good point. That for us is why we do not use revenge porn, we think it blames the victim inherently, yes. and, and we think it's not porn. But the other aspect of all of this, for me, is it really is literally like calling a feminicide um, a crime of passion. Mm. I mean, it just completely downplays the severity of this situation, the violation of privacy and intimacy and that has happened. So that is why I'm very, very passionate about not using that term (laughs) no I think it's great and like I know we talked about this earlier but I I love that you were here to correct many of us who still use the outdated term of revenge porn and like why that's problematic and thank you so much for really really taking the time to break that down and to provide us a really really deeper understanding of why that's not being used anymore so thank you and also providing for such a great definition of of gender-based internet violence so so I, I'm really. I, you have to say, I'm sorry, Steph. I do have to say, it's used all the time. It's also much more catchy than something like NCII. Right. <laughs> Actually, now I think about it, it sounds like a crime show. But anyway, so, <laughs> that sounds like a crime um, show. <laughs> I love that. So I, I wish I could say that people don't use it anymore. But what I would really like is that we think about when we use that term, especially when laws use it. I mean, yes. again, think about this. Mm-hmm. If you are putting the word revenge into your law. How do you prove revenge? How do you prove that the third party who's distributed this massively has mm-hmm. revenge on his mind or her mind? They right. don't. Yeah. You know, they just be doing this because they can, because they want to make a profit, or, you know, they might want to really screw you over, but it's not vengeful. You didn't do anything to them. Right. You know? So th- I think that's a really important thing because you can't, it's very hard to legislate on a word like revenge mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I was hushed about it. No. No, you're you're doing great. Like, I I love this and I love listening to you. You're so knowledgeable about this. And that's exactly the reason why I brought you on. So, (laughs) so good. Um, I really wanted to talk about, um, can we talk about who it involves in terms of like uh, gender-based internet violence? I know from my own understanding, basic understanding, it's a lot of the times it's, it's women who are affected, but of course, as you know, this can happen to just about anyone and any gender. But do you want to speak a little bit about that and like maybe how this can get distributed, where this gets posted, stuff like that? Sure. So one thing is that um, non-consensual intimate image distribution is one form of gender-based violence that's related to technology in some way or online in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um so other, I mean, there can be lots of other ways. There's a lot of very um, uh, sexually explicit and harassing trolling that happens or yes. uh, stalking that can happen online. Yes. Even, even, even breaking into people's accounts um, can have a gender focus or motive behind it. Right. And well, the other thing is about how these different tactics of violence interconnect uh, mm-hmm. and can strengthen each other. So one of the really... Um, difficult things that people face is something, it's a term called doxing, that Mm -hmm. uh, comes from basically taking a person and documenting everything that there is about them online. And it could be all public information, but you do the favor of connecting the dots and saying, you know, 
this person and this photo in this naked image is actually this person named this way who's living here and you can see her walking out of her house with her two kids. Yeah. And the kids, by the way, go to this school. That's blacksmith when you first documented all of that information and then you use that information uh, to ask people to begin to harass in other ways. And mm-hmm. it can be incredibly dangerous, life-threatening, totally. put, put your physical, not only your emotional and psychological health at risk, but your actual physical integrity at risk. Yes. And this, I, I mention this because it's also a big problem with NCII, and especially in the sex worker communities that we've worked with, for example. Oh, absolutely. Um, worked in India. So uh, it's, oh, wow. it's how a lot of these different... Um, uh, tactics of, of violence online can interconnect. Totally. So just to be clear, doxing happens to anyone. Yes. But it's really interesting why people get, it's almost sometimes happens also by, uh, in, in some cases, it's by like a community online. Yeah. Um, to give you an idea, there was a movement. You can't, when you created your website, I don't know if you um, activated, I hope you did, mm-hmm. um, privacy protections for your website and your domain. Mm. Um, everyone who has their own domain should be doing this because you don't want the, to be, a, you can look up, it's a matter of public knowledge to see who the domain owner is. Right. And so that's a way that someone can get your personal name, as an example, okay? I see. And okay. because the technical and administrative information is a matter of public record. Your address that you signed up with can also be physically available. It's part of public record unless really? you invest in a privacy screen with your domain provider. So that oh, would wow. make sure that your address is not revealed. Well, how many people started blogs? Yeah. In the year 2000, they got their own domain name. They're getting started. They're you know, starting selling their yep. image, their product, or whatever. And they use their name. And many people were like, still at their parents' houses. And so the actual address that's online is like their parents' home address. It's where they grew up. Totally. Matter of public record, no one invested in the privacy screen. And that's how people get to a lot of people's homes, just as one example. Wow. And there are lots of other ways that our addresses get shared online, online. Like through CVs or something. So people right. are really dedicated to hunt this and ferret this information out. But just to give you an idea, they want to destroy the privacy screen. They said that that level of anonymity and privacy was harmful. I'm mm. sure it was children. Yes, <laughs> um, yes, of course. <laughs> and of course, they always do. They want to protect children and women to get lumped in there. So anyway, <laughs> they want to take away that privacy screen. So a bunch of us... Uh, hundreds of uh, different activists, digital rights activists, and feminists at a meeting signed a petition. Mm-hmm. Well, that petition and our signatures on it sparked such furor that people decided to hunt us down and try to dox <gasps> every single person oh my who was bringing in the petition. Now, this was a petition oh my gosh. on the privacy of domain names. That's why it was so ironic. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But right. this happened all the time. Many people who are signing petitions are mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an effort of people that are against that cause to right. go and mess with the cause and go and mess with the people. And wow. you can just imagine what's going to be happening with, like, the changes in law in Texas, that sort of thing. Oh, for sure. It's something to be aware of. Um, and, a, and a safety measure against vaccine is always to do searches on yourself, do searches on your phone number, do searches on your address. If it's showing up, then that information is already public. How can you get it down or how can you disassociate yourself from that information? Right. Or is it associated with you in any way? So doing self-searches 
is adoxing yourself is amazing safety habit and tactic and highly recommended. And that means doing yeah. it with your handles, with images, checking what photos are out about you and somehow tagged to you. Thank That's you. That's a really good safety measure for all of us. And it's even a good safety measure. If we know an image is going out there and we know that this image has, um, that we're concerned about it, then we should do a reverse image search. Yes, absolutely. We found out about it on one place, but in fact, it's already up on all of the do-it-yourself porn sites. So you know how big is your problem then if you're using that tactic. So, but I wanted to say, this is how these different tactics of gender-based violence online get interconnected. So it's Mm -hmm. not just that your intimate image is out there, it's that it was tagged with your name or yeah. put your geographic location or some other information like sexy hot teacher from Morelos, Mexico. <laughs> and everybody in Morelos, Mexico uh, can look at it and you find out that you are on a do-it-yourself porn site because right. people come up to you on the streets or your cousins come up to you and say, hey, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So this is the, the really frustrating aspect of it is it's not just that the image was taken without your permission and began to be distributed, it's that it got to be interconnected. The information mm-hmm. starts to get triangulated because that's what internet will do. Right. And that can become very harmful. Totally. And then if someone gets it in their head to combine it with other tactics, like begin to threaten you, which mm-hmm. is another form of violence, and yes. then try to extort you or um, begin to stalk you yes. or... Uh, get out your personal information. So these are all different types of gender-based violence related to technology, of which non-consensual intimate image is just one, but right. it's an incredibly powerful one given the way that um, women and sexuality are treated totally. in all society. Oh my gosh. But and you know I what? Like, I don't think I did. Oh, you asked oh, you did. and where are they uploading? No, this so is, this is great. What is this happening to? Who is this happening to? Well, it's happening to everybody, but it especially is happening, it's going to be no surprise, to younger women. Of because course. Because they are in force and publicly on the internet. So there's yes. just even more possibility. And this is based on um, anecdotal research that we originally did and started in 2008. Okay. But it's backed up now that country after country is doing research on this. There's been amazing research that just came out um, from Uganda and I think now the group policy based in Uganda, P-O-L-L-I-C-Y, did okay. I think seven country review to get more statistical analysis oh, of wow. the way gender violence is playing out. And I can't find those links for you. And yes, lots of please. other countries, there's been reports coming out of Luchadoras here in Mexico. Amazing. Derecho in Peru, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really important to take a look at the stats. But they yeah. keep playing out again and again that younger women are definitely facing a lot of target, but publicly, totally. what do I mean? Women human rights defenders, feminists, mm-hmm. TV show um, personalities, athletes, um, anyone who is in the public face is especially subject to special scrutiny and attack. Mm-hmm. And what's concerning, however, is the who. Right? right, because we would say, "Oh, it's just a you know, it's just a whole bunch of teenagers with nothing to do." Um, the the or it's just um, uh, you know some the stereotypes of who does this uh, of some you know geek online. Right. But the reality is that in a lot of cases, it's the opposing political party. If we're talking about the attacks on political candidates. Right. Um, in a lot of cases, it's the government itself when we're talking about journalists 
or when we're talking mm-hmm. about women human rights defenders or land defenders, for example, or it's the companies. Yeah. Um, so you, I, I actually do not know about your reality in, in Canada or North America, mm-hmm. but this pulls out again and again the level of government surveillance or government hiring. Um, you know, uh, what are they called? They're called call centers. Oh yeah. No, yeah, I, I've heard about this before. Attacks. Yeah, I've, I've um, heard of this. Salvador and Guatemala, etc. So, so it's important to not think about that. You know, teenager with tons of time on no. their hands. Um, and it is often. I think this is less talked about. You know, that those are kind of like you're not surprised when it's these obvious people. Yeah. And certainly it's people. I mean, if you're going to take, you can't just say all women, right? Of course. The not. way that um, this is intersectional response you will see a much more visceral much more violent attacks for example against women of color against indigenous women etc so it's just to be super clear about that yeah 100 percent community based caste in india it plays out so importantly in all of these realms Mm -hmm. and the other other thing to be aware of however in our early studies there were two things that came out that I think that are is very important. And it was also very important to understand this as part of gender-based violence overall. Mm-hmm. Another section of the, of the population, especially of women, but not exclusively so, um, are those people who are already subject to violence. So if you right. are in a violent relationship with your partner, male or female, then you are much more likely to experience gender-based violence online. And let's remember, we're talking wow. about... Um, stalking and digital control. Yes. Um, putting up uh, spyware on phones. You know, this, oh my this gosh. Sort of if you are already in a situation of violence, the likelihood of, of technology being used to exacerbate that violence, exacerbate control and access over you is very high, including, I would add, NCII in that setting. Mm-hmm. So this is really important because wow. then you are seeing that people who are violent, violent partners, violent um, relationships are also very willing to use this to control you and wow. are the aggressors in question. Yeah, so, uh, that makes sense. Sometimes we are only focused on that, those people, mm-hmm. and sometimes we forget about the state or we can we forget about the political role that women play and that people feel threatened by. Right. So it's important to have that whole gamut of how non-binary people, how trans communities mm-hmm. threaten the patriarchal structure and people will do anything to make those communities more vulnerable. Right. Very important there. And I think the other thing that came out in our research in Latin America was how often this could be linked to feminicide. So it was very clear that this isn't something that just stays online, so to speak. Mm -hmm. The physical realm is involved. People's physical integrity can be in danger. But that's a reality anyway, because if you're, emotional or psychological integrity is in danger than your physical integrity is too. Absolutely. So, oh my so, gosh. Um, so that's, that's the reality. I have so and many I comments. Think, <laughs> the, 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 I just wanted to say, but really one more community that is really attacked, <laughs> of course, is our sex worker community. Yes. There we go. Um, because that is something that absolutely must be tapped down, controlled. That is not tolerated by so many, both government. Oh yes. As so when you try to get any sort of a recourse, any of these populations, but especially a community like people working in the sex work industry, it's very difficult to get it. Oh, because yeah. Because 
there's no legal, you wouldn't go anyway in so many countries <laughs> <laughs> so, to, the, to the police. Center. Now, please come in away. I'm sorry. I told you it'd be hard to hush me. No, no, no. This is great. Like, again, like, and you're doing such a great job of articulating everything I cannot say. So thank you so much. And like all of your research, your expertise on this is so, so, so welcome. So don't think that you're rambling on. Not at all. But I just wanted to comment on this. Like, I am so, okay, a couple things. Um, the inspiration for the episode, I actually... I'm a big tech nerd as well um, in terms of like cybersecurity and cybercrime. And I used to study criminology back in the day. Oh, cool. um, but I, I listened to another podcast called Darknet Diaries, which I'm a huge fan on uh, of. And they did an episode on um, non-consensual inter- um, image distribution and, and sites that, um, that the people are trying to take down that there are like um, – intimate images of them being shared upon and I thought that that would be a really really great episode this affects so many of us so that's one comment I had was that was the original inspiration for the episode and two just you going over all the different forms of uh, gender-based internet violence I'm actually such timing because I'm actually going through something like this right now um in a couple different ways and this all happened within the past week like I have a YouTube channel, which is not related to anything sex work at all or anything like that. It's just like a cooking channel. And I have been getting harassed over the next month by um, some user, and I'm not sure who this person is. And that just started escalating into death threats, which has not been super fun. Like I had to file a police report and I'm just trying to kind of deal with that emotionally and trying not to let that like let that take over my mind or like my well-being my well-being or my livelihood that and then on top of that I have had I've been a target of imper <laughs> oh my god um someone trying to impersonate me um stealing my photos and saying I have a fan site a fansly uh, which I don't and trying to scam people that way so such timing with this episode I'm so glad that you were able to come on and just chat about all these different types of violence that are happening to people like me like literally happening to me right now and also to other sex workers other people around the globe and it's just mind-blowing that people can get away with this kind of stuff so I wanted to kind of go into maybe if if you know of any laws that protect against this type of violence that you may know of. I know you're more representing the global South, but I'd love to hear what kind of tactics other countries are doing to combat this. Well, I just want to be careful. I definitely don't represent the global South. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And there's no representation there, but it is, I've done a lot of work here. So that's, that's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah, no, but definitely not. Um, uh, Cause I mean, representation is, just, just so hard for any individual to do of their own selves. And, and secondly, sure. I want to say how very, very sorry I am to hear that. And, um, and yeah. it, but I, I don't even want to talk about it because I, it's some parts of this, but I do want to say that um, the way that death threats can evolve is that they can get very graphic. So it might move from text to very graphic imagery. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who is receiving any kind of threat like that has to... Um, you know, really recognize that it's not nothing, right? Yeah. Um, there are, are ways, nothing in terms of how it can affect us, okay? Um, it might be nothing in terms of uh, the distance or the seriousness of the attack. You might feel like the person is around the corner, 
Mm -hmm. it, it could be that they're, you know, across the continent. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, and it's harder to do, and you can start to try to do investigation. A death threat in almost all of the countries where I've worked is against the law. Yes. Right? Yeah, it is. It's a death threat. Yeah. <laughs> so that, there's no doubt about it. You know, that it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> you have, <laughs> there's absolutely no right of anyone to issue a death threat against you, and there should be action taken totally. by police if you file that. And I would hope more in your country than in some of the other countries. Totally. And, and I would hope there's more capacity to investigate. Mm -hmm. But there's so many different smaller factors in there. So I, I want to... I want to recognize how um, how for some people uh, receiving these types of threats can be very upsetting, and it's important mm -hmm. to just you know process and recognize. And, and graphic ones can be very harmful to our psyches. And so yeah. getting out, and we can talk about different ways that we've worked to get those out. Even in the case of, of attacks on Zoom, and yeah, people see on Zoom, it's it, it's a, some of people get really really scarred by that so it's it's also important to just recognize you know this isn't just nothing it's very upsetting it can be for different people mm -hmm. and to, it's important to process it and give it that space having said that mm -hmm. and we can talk more about that later yeah um, yeah and also having said um the I, I think another it's so weird because i think that a lot of times we're used to like something awful has happened to me it is unjust it is illegal i report to the police but we have another entity in our lives here and it is the social media platforms where we host our content yes and where we carry out our activities they have a role to play and a lot of times they can play a faster role in a lot of the countries that i've been working in uh, they can play a faster role even than the police can mm -hmm. and unfortunately they also should we respond to police requests but they need to be due process requests, you know, judge orders to get more information. And remember that social media platforms don't necessarily have all the information that you think. I mean, they might know who you are and where you're connecting from, but if the person is a skilled harasser, they can disguise where they're connecting from and they're not using right. their names, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. So they're of not course. using their phone. So it's not as if, oh, if they just tell me this information, I'd know who it is. It's not that easy. No. You can also talk more about that. You yes. know more about that <laughs> if you're above on criminology. <laughs> but um, I think what is important is a lot of us, because we get such poor response from our reporting mechanisms on platforms, mm -hmm. because we get yes. such poor response from them, we just say, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to bother. But do report to your platforms. Absolutely will have better responses than others. So impersonation is a violation of almost all platforms. Mm -hmm. I don't know necessarily about fancy or, or like, or, um, but social media platforms where they might be promoting, definitely. That yes. is a justifiable takedown. And you can get notified of them using those images by doing those regular searches that I mentioned earlier, both reverse image search mm -hmm. or even put name out there. And so you get notified if you do a Google alert yeah, and for your name that they are trying to use, then you will see where it's appearing in different places and you can immediately report that as impersonation. Right. And you might have to report it again and again. It depends on each platform, but you absolutely should use that as a tool. 
Okay, One yeah. Of the, that is very important to do in any of the cases that you're talking about, if you can, and if not, this is also why we have friends, mm -hmm. document this shit. Oh, Take yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> make sure you have the URL in the screenshot. Um, also, it's helpful to make sure that these are timestamped. They might not hold up in court because of mani image manipulation. Right. But at least you can document the path and you can begin to see similarities. And if yeah, this is a pattern. Then that's where friends come in. Totally. They can document um, threats against you. You don't have to be looking at that stuff. Yeah. Um, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing is to sort of observe it and see. For example, if threats are coming through on Twitter from different handles, put on geolocation mm -hmm. of tweets. Are these people right. tweeting? Are they near you? I mean, it could be that they have used a VPN and they've come out near you on their connection. That's possible. Right. But, you know, if they're not anywhere near you, um, you know, maybe that can take down um, fear a notch so that you can function better, for example. True. And I'm sorry that it's actually your case because it's, it, you know, it's something that in general is a useful thing to learn about. Mm -hmm. And also, it's important to note that when we start to see different types of problems like this, different platforms will take things more or less seriously. So, for example, if that person is somehow using a real name to impersonate you, but you mm -hmm. on Facebook use your handle, guess what? <laughs> you, can, you can file for impersonation, but yeah. they can file against you. They can say, this right. person is not their real name. Yeah. And for people who are in any way involved with sex work can be really hard to have to always use their real name on Facebook, for example, just as an example. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of people wouldn't bother with Facebook <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <And> that too. <laughs> so you have to look at your different platforms. And so with Facebook, as just as an example, if mm -hmm. I see an abuse of someone impersonating your name, I can report it, even yeah. though I'm nothing to you. Of course. But if, if Twitter sees me uh, talking, especially, for example, about impersonation, they'd be like, well, how does she know? She's not the person involved. So mm. for Twitter, it's really important that it's the person who is affected who does the report. Interesting. And that okay. also goes for NCII. So okay. in Facebook, anyone, if you're seeing intimate images being used on Facebook, Facebook wants to know because they don't like those nipples. Yeah. They don't like no. those They don't like anything like that. They so don't like that stuff. Anyone can report it. Anyone can report it to get it taken down. You don't have to be the person in the picture. Right. But, and unfortunately, that could be used against people too because obviously people should have their own sexual expression and agency. Of course. And that's why Twitter, who has a really different take on freedom of expression than yes. Facebook, yes. that's why Twitter uh, will not be taking those images down. Gotcha. And it's very hard for Twitter, and they're recently reconsidering this policy. Yes. Uh, and that unless it's you who's affected in that image, they're not going to listen to you. Interesting. Uh, because it has to be you who reports that that's my image. I want you to take it down. I did not give consent. I'm telling you that's not consentful. So right. Twitter can say, oh, I'm not censoring a woman's body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, this told me it's her, and she doesn't want it. So that's clear that there's no consent. Because they right. will take very active measures against NCII, mm -hmm. but you have to somehow be the person who's affected. So it's, and wow. every single platform will be different. Yeah. For example, on some do-it-yourself porn sites, it, you have to actually be a user on the site to get any traction sometimes. You can't just oh. be complaining. Okay. Some, I mean, sometimes there are different responses. And another thing that I think is a very interesting measure to explore is do-it-yourself porn sites um, 
will respond frequently, more quickly to copyright infractions, which actually you could argue if you work in the industry. True. Right? Yeah, true. Absolutely. <laughs> Good point. That and prove it more than people. So I've seen people who are not uh, sex workers finding their images on do-it-yourself porn sites, trying to do the copyright angle, and they don't pay any attention to them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but this, this is a different situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's a really important thing. This is copyrighted image, you know, uh, and declare copyright on any images that you do publish, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's established. Yeah. So those sorts of things are useful to know, and it's going to be different according to who reports. But one of the things that another person, and this is just, uh, this was a tactic used in do-it-yourself porn sites in India. Okay. I'm not saying that I can recommend it. I'm sharing strategies, okay? Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that, it, we already have a murky situation here about child sexual exploitation, right? Right. But a lot of um, sex workers who have found their images and videos posted on do-it-yourself porn sites in India reported immediately as child sexual exploitation because oh. that requires to do immediate takedown. Right. So while it gets investigated, while it gets investigated, then that, um, then that, uh, they will address. They'll address it sooner and faster. They don't get taken down. Yeah, yeah that's scary. now. I don't know it's how a little bit murky. I wolf, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I think it's an interesting tactic to know about. Right? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, but I, you asked very specifically about laws, and it's really mm. gonna depend because, generally speaking, gender-based violence is not addressed well in most countries. Right. <laughs> and right. Accompaniment is not addressed well, and and at least in a lot of the countries where we work, it's like. Yeah, it's sexual harassment, but since our law doesn't specify internet, this doesn't apply. Oh. And most of the police, it's really tough. And most of the police in a lot of the countries where we have done work mm-hmm. um, actually don't even know what things are. They wouldn't, I mean, forget Twitter, OnlyFans. No, yeah, they wouldn't know, about they the wouldn't know Facebook, right? So they wouldn't know about these platforms, much less how they could have. I mean, Facebook and Twitter and larger social media platforms do have a process of outreach to um, to police departments across the world. Yes. But it is incredibly cumbersome process. Totally. And since they're not based in country, I mean, like Facebook headquarters are not in Canada, mm-hmm. um, where they have to write off to to get permission, et cetera, it gets very laborious. Right. So it's very, very hard to get more information from a platform if you're a police officer. And this is unfortunate because um, it's, I think it's great that the platforms insist on due process. I think that their transparency reports and what is being asked of them by police departments confirm that, that they should be doing that. Mm-hmm. We know very well, again, the police, if we were to say, no, but they should have quick takedown and police should just be able to ask, <laughs> they will do that because you're a political activist. <laughs> they will not do it because your naked photo is online. Right, so yeah. clear about how important it is to have these controls, right? Totally. So due process is important. And that unfortunately means that for most people, these cases never find any solution. Wow. But we do that internet companies are required to keep data for um, sometimes longer than three years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would never discard the possibility of legal action. But unfortunately, in many of the countries where we work, it really isn't a reality for most people. Other countries are highly 
structured legislatively, like you were mentioning the Philippines. Also, yeah. um, I've spoken with people from Jamaica, for example. So it really depends on the country you're in. And I don't know, for example, in Canada's case, I do know that they have both cyberbullying and um, uh, uh, laws regarding intimate imagery. Yes, they um, do. And also that is considered sexual harassment. So you yep. can also file it under other... Um, types of gender-based violence. And it's really important to know that the Commission for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, CEDAW, has said that online violence is a thing. <laughs> so now mm-hmm. governments who have signed on to it, which all of, almost all of them have, almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not many exceptions. Um, uh, <laughs> have to develop laws to be able to back it up. Right. So again, this is something that you can argue. It's just the police will even hear you. Yeah. That capacity to do follow up. So when I think about what are my means as someone who is facing this, I might go to the police. Maybe not mm-hmm. uh, because of the treatment one might receive of the police, because of their incapacity, or because of the level of impunity in in the country where I live, etc. Might not go. Definitely, we would report to platforms. Would yes. want need to need to recognize that each platform might have its nuances, mm-hmm. and there are different sites that have really good information for reporting about NCII, particularly. One of them is the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative, based in Florida. Okay, that has done a lot of promotion of um, NCII law. Okay, and, good. And to know. They, I think they have a campaign called End Revenge Porn. Oh, um, and so they they have played a key role getting legislation passed in each one of the states, for example, in the United States, and getting better legislation. Yeah. But I think also questions around criminalization versus civil disputes in this area is a huge controversy for many people. Oh yeah. Um, but so people have been affected by it and have lost their jobs and lost. Um, you know, are not physically safe because of attacks they get on their street, maybe, you know, they're pretty clear they would like a criminalist response sometimes. Totally. Uh, where people would go to jail. But others say, no, a civil response is appropriate here. It really, mm, I think, depends, depends on the yeah. But um, it, and that, that is across the board, very, it varies in each state. In Mexico now, there's a national law, and okay. it does include jail time, for example. Good. And more and more laws are rolling out uh, in Latin America based on the national law here in Mexico. Awesome. So it, it depends. It depends, um, okay. But the, the thing that I wanted to really stress was also the things that you yourself can do. It shouldn't be your sole responsibility mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Let's be really clear about who is at fault here. Someone should not be emitting threats. Right. Someone should not be distributing intimate images. This is not the person who is um, online. It's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important, especially if it's your image online. This is not your fault. No, no. Um, <laughs> as much as people might say. Um, and it doesn't mean you should stop what you're doing. You no. stop sexting or stop enjoying sexual expression. No, not, and much less should you quit your job necessarily. That's not what this is about. No. But you can take a lot of different safety measures. Yeah, to let's... Be able Protect yourself, and also in the case of intimate images, and especially if you're working one-on-one with clients or in particular platform spaces, mm-hmm. you can begin to mark your images in different ways yes. to see where what image got where, totally. and who had access to it, and begin to do your own sleuthing. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's quickly go into a few tips. Like I love hearing all these. I, I definitely want to hear uh, a little bit more, and then we have a few questions we can kind of quickly go into as well. So, if there's any last minute tips you want to share with the audience, I'm sure it'd be 
Very much so appreciated, Erica. Well, the thing about, you know, watermarking photos, I think and maybe you have heard of it. I think a lot of people have heard of this. And so they might incorporate a particular stuffed animal into the um, sexual imagery that they're sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or they might paint their nails differently or mark it in some way. Mm-hmm. Some advice even seen loosely online is to make sure you put background music or actually copyright Righted images like Mickey Mouse oh. and in the process so that that would not pass muster in a lot of different um, sites that are very controlled for their copyright images. By the way, one of the number one way that activist videos get taken down in YouTube, that's actually not statistically true. I don't know, but we've seen it all the time. <laughs> but it seems really, for example, against the elite communities in yep. India. This is this is like entire acervos, entire archives have been taken off of YouTube because of the background music. Right. As people protesting on the street. Come on. Wow. You know, this is a copyright violation, says YouTube. Seriously. And it's not necessarily that YouTube did a search for all of that sound. It's very likely that someone against that protest is saying, hey, have you been aware that this is a copyright violation? Totally. And let's yeah, remember that. that, that just as, as people are really invested in trolling us and upsetting us and trying to shut us down, we can, in the case especially of someone who is um, impersonating or using our images, we can say, hey, that's not their real name. And you use the rules of each platform to report against them. That mm-hmm. is helpful. Platforms take the rules very seriously. Right. So that's one trick. Another trick, as I said, is to alter your image in some way. You, there's also ways that you can actually uh, hide in images certain codes as well. And that's fun to explore. Cool. You can also just put hide like the guy's name in the photo yep yep that's um, another big and, thing too and, and, but what's really important is that photos can get cut so you want to yes. like keep it on your on the central part of your body, body. or yeah. very close to that proximity so it doesn't get cut off exactly when people edit the image um and i'm sure that you you have tons more tips but i do think what is um and so i think that a lot of people who work in 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 the sex industry are much more aware of how images can be recorded under any setting. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of general users are less aware of that. I mean, like if you're in OnlyFans, it, there's nothing to stop people recording that. Yeah. There's nothing to stop people taking that off. So it's not necessarily the image you shared. It's just a recording of the image you shared. Right. Or even Snapchat. There's just yeah. that's real that it's very, very, very easy to reproduce. And it, in fact, fake. I mean, there's yeah. incredible coverage of the situation in the Philippines. You think you're talking to a real person, and it's actually oh, yeah. a very well-acted-out scenario. And this is how a mm-hmm. lot of men fall into um, uh, sextortion right. uh, because of acted-out videos where they think they're actually with another person. Right. <laughs> and it's just a video. And That's following so the script, wild. Et it's really... And of course, this is also how pedophiles operate with kids. So it's yep. really, really um, disgusting, and a lot of it is beyond our imagination. And yes. a lot of people who are not savvy think, well, this is a video, you you see what you get, and this is the reality. And I told them not to record, so they won't. Um, wow. Oh, my gosh. Just not the case. No. Oh, my gosh. There's... Then that can be like an entire other episode, too. Like, <laughs> But we don't have time for that today. Um I think we can go ahead maybe and transition into the Q&A if that works for you. 
So I guess the first kind of question, I'm not even sure how relevant this question is, so you might just have to skip it, but we can kind of go into the other ones too. But this person's asking, how can we change our message so that we can prove consensual porn is good? Which I don't, I don't think that's really related today, but if you want to address it, you can. Well, I think that, <laughs> I think it's important to have more people talking about this. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, and talking about pleasure and talking yeah. about um, the role of um, erotic imagery, pornography, sexting in their lives. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, this is really decried and, and by a lot of different communities. But on the other hand, the, this is actually the only mode of sexual expression that many people, and if we think back historically about the use of the internet of the LGBTQI community, it's communities mm-hmm. across the world. This is essential. So right. I think that it's um, it's just something that I, I think the issue is how more people can pick up the message and the way that they do it. And I think that sometimes it gets limited to people who work in mm-hmm. uh, a certain areas. And in fact, it has to be if you're working in feminist and and women's rights this should be part of the message right yeah no absolutely it's a good good call out there um we'll quickly go into and this is a really really broad question but what kind of policies exist i know we kind of talked about it earlier but if there's any of the closing notes that you want to add in feel free to what policies exist okay well i think one of the things that's very concerning is that people who start to fight for policies and are outraged by this happening frequently do broad swipe policies, right? Yeah. And yeah, so that always. limits sexual expression. And mm-hmm. it's really hard to bring people together to talk about what actually works for all of us. I think one solution that's fabulous that Facebook has developed is their pilot program where they hash in non-consensual intimate images and immediately they see them getting uploaded again uh, anywhere on their platform. Not only do they make sure it doesn't get uploaded, they close down the account. Oh, so that works great. great. If yeah. it's one image that you never want to disseminate, you have to participate in the pilot program. Mm. But it's really, really very, very effective. Really However, cool. if you're a worker and you have a great image that you want to share again and again, your account's going to get closed, right? right? So you wouldn't right. use that program for your reality. And that doesn't mean that that imagery isn't being shared non-consensually, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some good solutions that are thought about for, and policies that are thought about for different sorts of settings or circumstances. And, I, and it's very hard for policies to be nuanced in this way. And they are always going to be biased, I think, toward a more protectionist and censoring frame. Of course. And we have to make sure that they, uh, that that doesn't happen. And right. I would, I, I think that, I can safely say that most of the people who are involved in, in Take Back the Tech and the Women's Rights Program of Association for Progressive Communication mm-hmm. and many other people working on NCII are, do not, generally speaking, take a criminalist solution given the levels of impunity and who it would, in reality, be played out against. Right. And we're not going to see wealthy, powerful people being affected by these laws. But uh, so it's it, the the idea of using a criminalist response is less appealing to many of the people who I um, protest and share my activism with. Mm-hmm. But yet other feminists definitely want criminalist response for sure. And, so, and and everyone has their reasons, and I think that there's a lot of logic on many sides. Okay. So. 
Great. Good answers here. Um, and I know we talked about this earlier too, but if there's any other closing notes here, what do we need to have to help deal with this if your photos or videos are shared without your consent? Uh, well, I think that one, you have to determine if you first share them mm-hmm. and where the leak might be. You want to make sure that your devices are shut down, that your accounts are safe, that you have secure passwords. We can talk about anything about digital safety and that sort of setting at any other time. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's, you want to make sure you're as safe as possible and you don't want to be identified or necessarily connected to them. So right. you, you might want to look at how you identify yourself, how many images you're posting publicly, etc. Mm-hmm. You, you want to, you want to look at the type of environment that you want to have online and feel comfortable with it and maybe that environment is way out there and that is fine but right. you do want to check that they don't have your physical address that sort of thing so right. doing the self searches locking down your devices using quality passwords or passphrases and even password managers all of these using antivirus all of these things are really important and understanding the privacy mechanisms of all platforms that you're using so one the mm-hmm. leak isn't coming from you so to speak right they right right get access to your spaces secondly if you are facing a leak it's really hard to go out there and say hey my photos are being leaked because people are embarrassed or are ashamed and frequently are ashamed right. by society and by loved ones but in general what we have found is if that is happening you want to protest at the platform level you want to document as much as you can and you may want to go public because mm-hmm. the harm is, this is where you're saying, this isn't on me, it's on these assholes. So right. I think that's also depends on each person's context. And I think that we can talk at another time about the reality of the way people are handling databases of images and using packs and some Yes. which is a whole different. That's and, another, <laughs> another big topic. But yeah, we'll probably okay. have. We'll have to do a part two of this episode for sure. Um, we'll, we just have a couple more questions here and then we'll wrap it up because I have a heart out today. I have a meeting. You also have a meeting, Erica. I know we're super busy. So yeah. we'll just address the next two questions and that's pretty much it. Um, what are some things men should do be, um, well, sorry, what are some things men should do to be better allies and to help solve this issue? I think that this is going to sound weird, but if you are exchanging images, talk clearly about, well, what are you comfortable with? How, yeah. how long do you want them on each other's devices? How are you storing them? Mm-hmm. Do you get safety practices, sir? Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should be getting some. You know, chip. You can only have my, you can have, I'm happy to have you have my images, but they have to be this way and it has to be password protected or it has to be an encrypted yeah. chip. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing this, you know, at least put a password on your phone. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's just, at least. Rules and then they, they can, you can have a date for phone cleanup every month, and you have face to face time, and then you also take each other's phones and eliminate the photos and make sure that they are safe. You, if someone wants to back up these images and not respond to voiced agreements, they will do it. But right. at least you had a voice discussion about it, and a lot of times this sort of discussion is awkward and uncomfortable, especially in private personal relationships and based on romantic love. (laughs) But you got to talk about this stuff. That's the first step. Yeah, communication is key. Let's make it clear. Let's make it clear. And the last one here, and this is a big one too, but we'll just quickly address it. But how can we respond to revenge porn legally and which laws need to be in place? I guess it's more like an opinion piece. Oh, so that is actually not a quick address. I do think yeah. that it has to be identified and understood that this mm-hmm. is something that is real. It, it, any policy that is addressed 
has to have educational components and has to be focused on the people who the word perpetrator here comes to mind the people who are disseminating right. um, and having some sort of education understanding about how all of this plays out and that this is happening because of misogyny because of patriarchy because yes. they can and they feel they can and should and absolutely they should not be policies that put the onus on the victim and blame the victim. So any 100%. policy that starts from those premises is going to be a better policy. And it should be funded so that something yes. can actually happen. Yes. Oh my gosh, Erica, I have so much more. Like, honestly, I, I, I think I real have to get you back on for part two for this episode. There's just, there's so much more to unpack here that I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface today. But I really want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. I just really want to ask, um, where can, where can people find you? Where can people find more information about Take Back the Tech? And if you want to share any resources, we'll plug, we'll plug it in the show notes too. That's wonderful. It, um, certainly you can find us on Twitter at Take Back the Tech. Um, also, we're in Spanish on Twitter, Dominemos Las Tic. I'm really sorry for this phone interrupting. No, that's you. okay. Um, <laughs> You're all good. And we have a site, takebackthetech.net. Mm-hmm. Um, we also would really like you to get in touch with the Feminist Internet Principles. And so that's feministinternet.org. There okay. are other feminist internet sites out there. And the one that we're working on are the principles. And, and sort of those can help inform our thinking around the internet and our policies around the internet, but also our, you know, how we want to play with technology and infrastructure. Absolutely. And certainly our organization um, is APC.org, the Association for Progressive Communications. And right. where you can find a lot of great discussion and bigger debate on this is in genderit.org. There's articles on revenge right. porn. There's articles on very specific countrywide policies. People take different looks at um, sex work. There's awesome. the reality of how transgender communities being attacked, et cetera, et cetera. So please check out GenderIT.org as Perfect. well. Perfect. I will be plugging all those links. If you haven't already checked it out, it's going to be in the show notes. But Erica, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Um, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And I can't wait to speak to you again on these issues because they are rampant. And, and I'm so glad you were able here to just kind of break everything down for us. Um, in a digestible kind of way. So it's Strip by Sia on Instagram. It's also Strip by Sia on Twitter. And get at me and my personal, which is Sia Steph on Instagram. And it'll be new episodes every single Sunday. Take care, everyone. Bye, Erica. listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.